What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 20 of the Lynch with Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. Hi, my name is Mike Lynch, and if I have never met you before, it is a joy and an honor to be on this leadership journey with you. We are all seeking to be not only great leaders, but seeking to be the leaders that God created us to be. And we've had all types of leaders on this podcast. We've had people in the entertainment world. We've had people in the business world. We've had people in the sports world. We've literally had people from all walks of life. And what I love about that is we are all, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, we're all striving to be that leader that God created us to be, and we're doing the very best we can at it. Our guest today has been a good friend of mine since 1985. I met him when I was in high school. He was a minor league baseball player at the time with the Kansas City Royals, and he was going to my home church in Fayetteville at New Hope. Ike, our pastor, Ike Riker, introduced us, and we began to train together in the offseason, throw together in the offseason. But little did I know that all of these years later that God would strike up a friendship that would span those decades now. Kevin Burrell was a number one draft pick of the Boston Red Sox in 1983, chosen in the first round, very first catcher chosen in that draft. Kevin played in the minor leagues until 1991 when he finished his career. Then he got in the scouting world. But Kevin's more than a baseball scout. Kevin's more than a guy that covers an area now for the Chicago White Sox. Kevin is a guy who understands he's been put where he's been put for a reason bigger than him. And he lives out his faith every day. Kevin is a part of a coach's uh, scouts Bible study that I lead online every Monday morning during the school year from August till May. And Kevin's a huge part of that and being a leader in that with me. But today you've got so many nuggets of wisdom you're going to get from Kevin. Kevin's a great leader. Kevin's a great man. But even more important than that, Kevin is a great follower of Christ. So I want you to pull up a chair, listen in to my time with Kevin Burrell. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today on Lynch with a Leader, buddy. Well, thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to be with you, man. I'm excited about this and just really looking forward to uh, having this conversation. You know, it's funny, Kevin, we were we were chatting before we came online and, you know, I remember meeting you back in 1985. You were in the middle of your minor league baseball career and and uh, we became throwing partners there in the off season you'd moved to Fayetteville around the Fayetteville area and we're coming to the church I was located in walk everybody a little bit through your career Kevin back to high school and those years when I met you in the minor leagues fill us in fill in the holes a little bit for us well I grew up in uh, southern California And uh, I was born and raised out there and lived the majority of my life uh, down in the San Diego uh, area. And I went to a high school there called Poway High School. And uh, it was, uh, um, you know, at that time, Poway was a smaller type community, wasn't a big community. But um, uh, went to school there and and, uh, went to high school there. Grew up in a Christian uh, school, actually going through um, all the way up to eighth grade. 
And uh, the uh, the private school that I went to did not have an organized baseball um, team, so I wound up having to go to the the public high school and uh, started playing baseball there, and and um, just progressed through you know the years in high school and um, more of a as a as a junior in high school, uh, I was more of a, a college prospect. I wasn't, you know, what we would consider a true pro prospect. And, uh, but there was this metamorphosis that took place between my junior year that summer and my senior year of starting school. And, uh, my foot grew two inches and I grew about two inches and, and, um, it just really took off from there. And, uh, I went from, like I said, uh, you know, a, a just a just a good college prospect to um, becoming this MVP in the state of California the the following baseball season and and um, you know then the draft came out and I was drafted and um, you know started playing my career uh, signed out of high school and uh, began my career in in baseball and um, wound up playing you know a total of ten years uh, professionally and and um, and then. You know, after I finished playing, I transitioned uh, right into scouting in the fall of 1991. Now, when you came out of high school that year, you were you were a number one draft pick. You were the, in fact, first catcher taken in the draft that year across the country. Um, what was it like to be an 18-year-old kid drafted in the first round? What was going through your mind, Kevin? Well, you know, leading into the draft, um, I committed my um, commitment, my college commitment to San Diego State University. And at that time, San Diego State was like the Vanderbilt of today or LSU of today. They were, you know, ranked one and two in the country. And so there was a it was a high level program. And um, actually, Tony Gwynn, if you remember Tony Gwynn, he took me on my recruiting trip to San Diego. I mean, to San Diego State. So. Um, you know, I, I, I knew I had an idea I was going to be drafted fairly high. I just didn't know where. And of course, back then the draft has changed so much from when it was then to what it is now. And, um, so I just, uh, it was something that I always wanted to do. And, uh, I wanted to, you know, play professional baseball. That was a goal of mine. Um, but again, I didn't know where I was going to be drafted when the draft came out. Uh, on the day I was drafted, um, ESPN was just coming on air at that time. Mm. And um, so I had to learn actually through a, a telegraph and um, that it came across the ticker. And so um, I learned that I was the uh, 25th player. There was only 26 teams back there back then, but I was the 25th player selected in the first round and the first catcher uh, selected that year in the draft. So it was exciting. It was uh, it was a goal that was reached. I was excited about it, um, you know, as, as much uh, as a teenager could be at that time. And, um, you know, I definitely wanted to start my career uh, in professional baseball. So you're, you go from Poway High School, great, great school in Southern California. You're drafted by the Red Sox and you, you sign you enter the minor leagues. What was that time like for you as a teenager, leaving home, leaving your mom and dad, leaving everything you know is normal, and walking into minor league baseball? Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, so um, when I was drafted, 
um, I left home for the first time. Of course, kids nowadays, they, they play on these travel teams and they're gone and they travel quite a bit with these, with these teams. They're used to that back then. We didn't have that. So, uh, first time I was away from home was when I got on the plane in San Diego and I flew back to uh, a place called Elmira, New York, which is an upstate New York. And, uh, that was the New York Penn league. It was more of a college based league. Um, there, if you were a high school player going in that league, it was a, uh, it was a very difficult league to play in, in the minor leagues as a high schooler. Um, it's an advanced league. So, um, but leaving San Diego to Elmira, New York was culture shock. <laughs> um, we did not have, you know, cell phones back then. We had no computer. Uh, I think my first, uh, phone bill I got was $382. Good I got, and, um, I, I was so homesick and I left home and I felt alone. And here I am in this small town of Elmira, New York. And, um, uh, it was just culture shock. And uh, I, I really didn't know what to expect. I just knew this is what I wanted to pursue. Uh, we wound up living in uh, college dorms at that time at the college there in Elmira. That's where we lived. And um, it was just, it was culture shock. I don't know how else to say it. It was, I felt like a fish out of water. So it was definitely a time of growth in my life, um, a time of being homesick away from home and uh, just missing my family and missing, you know, missing those that I love. You know, did you go through a season, Kevin, where, you know, I know to be drafted first round, I mean, there's an incredible skill level that you have to have to go that high in the draft. Had you ever experienced adversity and failure before, like you probably had to walk through in the minor leagues? Never. Never, I never had experienced failure, although, you know, in baseball, the game is based on failing. If you fail seven out of 10 times, you're a 300 hitter. And uh, it's, it's based on errors. You're going to make errors. So um, other than this, the normal baseball activity of, of failure, but never long periods of extended failure uh, did I experience uh, playing the game. So really the first time I really experienced failure was in professional baseball. And, um, the first time I ever swung a wood bat was in professional baseball. Um, uh, it's changed so much nowadays where these kids, they have all the wood bat tournaments. They, they play in, they're used to, and, uh, we didn't have that back then. So we hit with nothing but metal bats. And, uh, so the first time I ever played with wood bat, was um, was at the professional level, and it was a it was a struggle. First time I ever started seeing sliders and you know uh, major league caliber type pitches, so it was uh, it was definitely a time of growth and uh, adversity and setbacks and failure um, uh, that I've never experienced before in the game in the game of baseball. So you're a kid going into the minor leagues. You you grew up going to a Christian school. What was the what was the spiritual journey? of that season like for you? What happened in your heart during those years? Because I met you in 85, so shortly thereafter when you moved to Atlanta. Um, so that's when we got to know each other. But where did your spiritual journey really begin to take root, Kevin? Yeah. Well, I was born, um, you know, I was, I was raised in a, with a Christian uh, mom and dad, a set of parents that um, loved God and, and was uh, active in church and took us to church. Uh, my sister and I, 
growing up and we were Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights with just the traditional, you know, church. And so, uh, had very committed parents that, uh, uh, that was a priority in our home. That was an important part of our home. Um, but it wasn't until I actually, uh, owned this for myself. And, um, so I remember it was June 3rd, 1976, and we were at an awards banquet, uh, for my private Christian school. And, I'd won a couple of awards, and um, the uh, the person that stood up there that was communicating just asked that one question that probably you know many people have heard throughout their entire life. He just said, "If you were to die tonight, um, and you stood before God in heaven, uh, and He asked you why should I let you into heaven, what would you say?" And it was that night that I just it just impacted me, and I came home that night, and it was eleven o'clock at night. I was laying in my bunk bed. And I, um, it was just pondering that question. I was wrestling with it and I was, I'm, you know, I was about 13 years old, 12, 13 years old. And I, uh, called my dad in my room and I just said, dad, I, I said, this is the first, uh, first time I really realized that, that if I would die tonight, that I would be separated from, um, from God. And, um, I, I want to make that right. And so it was that night that really was, um, a transition from, um, you know, a lot of head knowledge to a really genuine heart knowledge. So you get into the minor leagues. Was it hard? Was it hard to be a believer during that time? Was that something that pushed your faith a little bit? Yeah, it was definitely challenging. It was certainly a time of growth. Um, needless to say, there wasn't a lot of believers um, on the team, you know, and, and uh, you were kind of out there on an island alone, although you had your values and morals that you grew up with and you knew that right from wrong. But, um, you know, it's, um, it's so important to, to stay in uh, good spiritual environments of growth. So um, it was definitely a time where I struggled spiritually. Um, I got off the track at times in my life and in my career, even going through baseball, especially early in my career. Uh, but even through all of that, um, you know, God was still faithful and still took care of me and um, still was working through my life to to impact other people around me that I wasn't even aware of. You know, so you play, Kevin, you've 1991 uh, after an injury, you decide to hang it up, never reaching your ultimate destination that every every guy who puts on a uniform wants to get to. How, was that was that hard for you to 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 call it a, a career before that before that step was ever made? Tell me how that went. Well, it was. Uh, I wouldn't say it was hard for me. It was disappointing. Um, I had, was fortunate enough to go to you know, four or five major league spring trainings, and um, we got sent down every every one of them. Never uh, never made the major league team. Um, but it was always it, it was um, it was disappointing, but um, it was a time where uh, it wasn't hard to stomach per se, but it was just disappointing. And I I knew that I had uh, personally um, did the best that I could. I could look at myself in the mirror after my playing career and said, you know what, I, I gave the best effort I could. Um, I worked the best I could. Um, so I, I was comfortable in that, but um, I wasn't heartbroken over it, but it was disappointing that I never got 
that opportunity to, you know, play at the major league level. Um, a lot of years in AAA, but never, never got to reach that ultimate pinnacle. So when you finished, Kevin, in 91, you, you pretty much made a pretty quick transition into the scouting world, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I finished, uh, finished playing um, my career, and I had an elbow injury. Uh, came back, and uh, that was in 1990 with the elbow um, injury, and then came back in 1991 season. It was just never the same again. Um, I, I just couldn't perform up to the level that I needed to. And so at that time, I decided to take a step back and um, transition. I wanted to stay in the game of baseball, so um, I had an opportunity to get into uh, the scouting side of it, and um, I made that transition to go into scouting in the fall of 1991. What makes Kevin a great scout? What is it that you would say separates the good ones from great ones after all these years in it what have, what have you learned about the great ones in scouting yeah well um i think the number one attribute um personally is uh, a lot of the great scouts are not afraid to fail uh, much like a lot of the great players and um they're they are um they're not afraid to fail and they are willing to take chances on players um, that maybe other teams or other scouts won't. I heard a, um, a quote many years ago from a long time, old time scout. And he said, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're growing as a scout when you're able to walk away from a player or a prospect that other teams consider a prospect. And so um, that, that is, that is, I think the number one attribute that a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the great scouts, they just weren't afraid of failing and they would take chances on players. Um, I, I also think that, you know, a dedication to it, a commitment to it. Um, I think to have instincts, uh, in scouting, you have to have instincts. You can't just fly by the seat of your pants. You have to have instincts for it. You have to be very focused and disciplined. You have to be organized. Um, so many scouts, you know, I see, especially younger scouts now are so disorganized. Um, and uh, they, they'll run with a pack instead of, you know, really trusting their instincts and what they believe in their gut on a player. So uh, I think a lot of those qualities and characteristics are important to be a good scout. But I think the number one, again, is, that um, a lot of the that separated the great ones from the, from the from the good one or the average ones. There's just they weren't afraid to take chances, mm. and um, they weren't afraid to fail. So you you spend ninety percent of your time at a high school field or a summer field in the in the summer at a travel tournament somewhere or a college environment. What when you walk up? and you show up and you've got your clipboard or your notebook and you've got your stopwatch and your gun and all the things that are just sort of part of your arsenal. When you show up there, what are you looking for? So if you've got a kid that's listening to this, that maybe he's a young baseball player on the high school level or collegiate level, or even basketball or football, but what are the intangibles? Everybody knows you're looking for talent, but what are the other intangibles that people may not think about that you're looking at and thinking about? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, 
naturally in baseball, uh, I'm sure like other sports that they have certain keys they look for, certain tools they look for. But in baseball, we evaluate, you know, the, the bat, the hitting, the power, the run, the throw, and the field tools. So those are five tools that we really hone in and uh, evaluate. And um, the, the, the better those tools are, the higher you have a chance or the more likely you have a chance of getting drafted higher. The less those tools are, the less chance you're going to have of, uh, of getting drafted. But um, that is just the, the tool part of it. That's just the, um, the physical side of it. There are so many other things that make up a player. Um, and, and part of that is not just skill level, but it's his makeup. It's those intangibles. It's the makeup. It's not, um, it's, it's how he's wired. How competitive is he? Is he, how driven is he to succeed? Uh, what type of character does he have when he faces adversity? What type of integrity, what type of teammate is he? Um, is he a kid that will give up? Is he a kid that will give in? Um, what, what makes this player above and beyond his ability? What sets this player apart from the average player that's going to carry him uh, onto the major leagues? And that, and this is, you know, this is something I try to tell young players now, even when I meet with them um, in a setting of a personal private meeting with them is I try to figure out, okay, I know what this kid can do physically, but what sets him apart uh, emotionally? What sets him apart from his competitive nature? What does, how does his character and integrity set him apart that's going to carry him past double A when it really starts getting difficult? onto the major leagues and ultimately will help us to win a, a world series championship. It, it, how do you do that? It, is that something you've just learned through the years, Kevin, or is there a metric you use? How, how, how do you find that um, working itself out? Yeah. Well, for me, um, I've come up with a, a questionnaire. Matter of fact, I'm sitting here looking at one on my desk right now. And, you know, it's just over all the years of scouting that I've put together um, a questionnaire that are based on my questions. It's not necessarily our organization's questions, but they're just based on um, not so much the physical side of the game, but more of the, the off field, more of the character, more of the uh, how this kid is wired. How, what type of leader is him? Is he, uh, what does he prioritize that's important in life? I mean, it, it's so much of that based on these 20 questions that I've come up with to uh, to really sit there and talk to players. And it's interesting because, you know, when I have a home meeting and I'll be meeting with a high school player, you know, the parents don't get to interject that much because they get to hear um, uh, their their son talk about these really these vital characteristics and components uh, other than just the baseball side of it. And uh, I've had parents, I've had moms, you know, kind of cry or tear up and, you know, just listening and the dad's listening to, they can see what they poured into him and how it's coming out. And so it's, it's, it's a really interesting time. I wish, you know, just the average person could sit in on one of these meetings and you could hear how these players talk and you can hear, you know, what, what, what is, what is important to them that's going to carry them on to the major league level and some of their goals and what they think about, what they dream of. So um, 
I don't know. It's just it's just something I've put together for myself personally uh, over the last you know twenty six years of scouting, and um, um, that's just really a really priority question for me when when trying to get down and drill down to uh, the surface, uh, just past the surface level, really drill down to what makes this player tick. So if a, if a player is low on the character scale and you even, I know you and I've talked about this a lot. You even go to the high school and you ask the coach or a travel ball coach talks to you a little bit. You can tell character is an issue. Why does that matter to a club? I mean, the guy can hit, the guy can throw, the guy can pitch, the guy can field. Why would the character even matter? The character um, for me as a scout, um, and I try to tell these young players, is for the for the good or the bad. Meaning, if you get to the big leagues for 15 years and have a successful career, and maybe you're an all-star someday, or if you play three years and you're, you're, you, you're released, your name, our name, your name and my name are linked mm. forever. They're forever linked. And so uh, reputation is important. And so, um, certainly for me, I try to do the best that I, best job that I can to, um, uh, evaluate the player correctly and give my organization quality character players and quality players with high integrity, because those players are the ones that are going to wind up going further and are going to wind up succeeding. I think in the long run. Uh, when the when the hard times come, and there are going to be hard times, they are going to fail. So it, it is those characteristics that wind up carrying, oftentimes these players that have talent and have the ability. But it's that it's those characteristics that carry them on and help the help the organization. Um, if there's bad character players, if it's bad integrity players, those characteristics will infiltrate your organization and infiltrate the major league club. And it could be a detriment. Well, it will be a detriment to, and can cause a cancer on the club. So um, it's just very important that, you know, for me, I, I value those two characteristics very high in the process and the evaluation process. You know, and I, I love something you said too earlier, Kevin, you talked about one of the signs of a great scout is they're willing to take risks. And I was going through your draft list and some of the guys you've taken. In fact, Tony Beasley and one of our other podcasts brought up one of them. I don't remember what the context was. His name came up, but David Eckstein. When you went and watched David Eckstein play, he wasn't super high on others' radars. What was it about him that you saw that he was more than just the, the, the piece of clay you saw on the field. What, what was it about him? Yeah. Well, um, David Eckstein, um, I was a national cross cross checker at the time with the Red Sox organization. And, um, he played at university of Florida and our scout down there, um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Luke Wren that, um, he, he, he loved, uh, David Eckstein. And, um, a lot of scouts walked away from David Eckstein and, but he was very supportive of him. He liked him. And so, um, but what I saw when I watched and saw David Eckstein was a guy that did not uh, necessarily measure with all the, the, the measurements of um, those five skills that we evaluate, but he did nothing great, but everything good. 
And so when you watched him, he knew how to play the game. His arm was a little short. His speed was a little short. His range was a little short. He could put the bat on the ball. He knew how to move the runners around. He knew he could hit and run. He could handle the bat. Um, he just knew how to play the game, but he did not have a great tool package. So um, it, it was something that was very intriguing to me because you, you loved the way he played the game mm. and you knew uh, you knew that he loved to play the game. So uh, again, he did nothing great. There was no great standout tool, but he did everything really good. And so it was fortunate enough that uh, I was able to see him and it worked out where he was still on the board for us to draft. But, um, you know, our area scout down there had such a huge um, uh, influence on us drafting him. You know, it's funny. I was looking down your list too and see Hunter Pence. You know, we watch Hunter Pence now and go, wow, man, that guy's so unorthodox. That guy's so different. That's what makes <laughs> him so unique. But, but in the world you live in of, look like see what was hunter pence like to see as a as a kid when you saw him yeah well it's interesting because i i get this question asked a lot and again at that time i was doing the national job with houston and um he was hunter was at uh, university of texas arlington and so um our scouting director i was in california he asked me to to go in there and just kind of slip in there and see him and he said, hey, we didn't have a first-round pick that year, so we weren't picking until the bottom of the second round. And so um, our scouting director asked me, he said, hey, kind of slip in there and go see him. So when I went in there, uh, I watched him. And again, I'm trying to stick with those five tools and uh, evaluate those five tools. Well, on that particular day, um, it was a great day because he showed you everything you wanted to see as a scout. He, he uh, was physical. He had bat quickness. He had good knowledge of the strike zone. He had strength in his swing. He could drive the ball the other way. He had some leverage in his swing. He had some balance. Uh, he could throw. He could run. Uh, he had some power. He had some raw power. So you got to see everything on that day that came together, but it was so unorthodox. Uh, Hunter Pence was so unorthodox. And so I think that's why he wound up slipping in the draft so far. And um, so fortunately for us, he was there at the bottom of the second round. And um, he was a guy that I, um, I personally wanted and I wanted as our first pick uh, in the draft that year. Um, we had another option on the table who um, I, I, I personally wasn't for that other uh, player. Um, and we wound up coming and getting him actually in the third round. So, we were able to get uh, Hunter Pence, but um, you know, it's funny because I look at Hunter Pence now and he's the exact same way as he yeah. was at university of Texas Arlington. He's just, he's just bigger and stronger and more <laughs> physical now, but uh, it's the same exact, um, you know, unorthodox type of um, uh, ability out there on the field. It's just, that's, that's, it's, it's the exact same. It's just, he's just more physical and a little older and stronger and has been playing the game longer. And, and here you are, Kevin, here, you, you're guy. And here's what I know about you. This is what I know about you as a player. You wanted to be the best. You were driven to be the best. You change hats, put on the scouting hat. You want to be the best. You want your organization to win a 
World Series championship. You want you want that title, so you got to go help find those guys. But in the middle of all this, you've got a faith that's really developing and really growing. Describe describe to us a little bit about what your faith means to you and how it drives you to be the best you can be and what you do. Yeah. Well, my faith to me is everything. It, it is, it literally is what drives um, my daily life. So uh, baseball, I look at it, baseball is just what I do. It's just what I do to earn a living. It, it does not, and it will not define who I am as a person. So um, my faith is a priority uh, in my life. And baseball is important. It is what I do, but it is not the ultimate uh, prize in my life. And so I, you know, now I, I have this um, daily goal that um, I just want to seek to get up in the morning and be, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a minister first. The way I look at myself, I'm a minister first in disguise as a scout. And so that, that entails, you know, serving others, helping others, encouraging others, being there for others, um, just as Christ would for us. And so I just happen to do it in the context of being a major league baseball scout. Is it, is it hard to do? Well, it's challenging at times, and I believe not just myself, but other um, Christian players or athletes or coaches or scouts, if we don't spend enough quality time, we don't spend time with God in his word on a daily basis, um, that it becomes more challenging. So the, the closer I am to God in my walk with him, the uh, the less difficult it is. What do you do, Kevin, to, so you make a decision in 1976 to accept Christ. You really begin to grow in Christ through all these years. What are some disciplines you've put in place to help you maintain that focus and walk? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, some of them are, um, really trying to keep uh, myself in good environment, uh, healthy environments. And what I try to tell, um, you know, I guess I refer it to if you, uh, you know, if, if a person wanted to get bigger and stronger physically, um, they would go to a gym to put themselves in an environment of growth. A gym is a place of growth. There's weights there. So it's going to help you grow your body. Um, so, in the same way, I, I, I try to put myself and be intentional about putting myself in environments of growth, uh, whether that's a small group, whether it's with a group of guys that I'm accountable to, and uh, it's a growth group. And so uh, if I want to succeed in my spiritual life, then it's important and a priority that I put myself in an environment of growth and accountability. So I just try to do that um, in my, not only in my my personal life with my, myself and my wife, but um, I, I just just um, you know in investing guys and in, with guys and and leading guys maybe in the off season through um, you know some some growth environments 
So um, that's that's accountability for me. It's just very important. It really is. I I, I think it's important that we as a as a man um, have accountability in our life with somebody that you know we can trust and that's trusted and that has wisdom and can uh, and can speak into our lives when um, when 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 we need uh, our life to be spoken into. So and can help keep us accountable. I love that. And, you know, one of my favorite things about you, Kevin, is I know you're you're a very intentional investor into others' lives and, and discipleship, that, that art of pouring into another for them to continue it on is a really big deal to you. Why, why is that pouring into other guys and taking what God's done for you and giving that away to somebody else? Why is that such a big deal to you? Yeah. Well, I didn't learn this priority, sadly, um, until later in life. And I really, uh, I really had a misconception of what, uh, being number one, being a disciple was. And then, uh, I knew that discipleship was important. Um, I was taught that probably like many other, uh, people that are listening, um, that I understood that discipleship and that we should go make disciples. Um, I knew that was important, but I did not know how to do it. Mm. I did not know the process of how to do that. And so when I learned the importance of how to make a disciple, um, it it really um, gave me a lot of clarity and a lot of freedom to um, understand what this means, not only to be a disciple, but to build or make more disciples with our life. And there's a pro, there's an actual process of how to live that out. And so now um, that's what I try to do. I try to leverage what influence I do have um, and to further the kingdom. And by investing myself intentionally, just as Jesus did, he invested his life intentionally into the 12 so they could then go out and multiply and reproduce more disciples. So that's that's honestly my goal. I just try to use this this um, this venue or this avenue of baseball to try to leverage that influence to make an impact uh, for eternity. You know, and and Kevin, I remember you went through a season that we walked through a little bit together as friends, where. You know the door. The door in the baseball world had shut in one organization, and you were really going through that searching time. And you have such a heart for the Lord, for the local church, that you went on staff at a church for a season. Um, what got you back into baseball? So here, here you're a guy. There, and there's no doubt. You said it earlier. You are disguised as a scout, but you're a minister at heart. Um, you just use the tool of scouting but you get out of that for a season. What was going on in Kevin's heart that made you go, you know what? I think baseball is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Through that process and through that period of time, um, it was such a great time of growth spiritually. I felt like the apostle Paul after he met, you know, Jesus on the road to Damascus and, you know, um, um, God took the Apostle Paul and took him out to the desert for for a season and just, you know, to prepare him for what he was getting ready to go through. And so much the same way I uh, attribute that to. 
and uh, there was a there was a period there where um, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to get out of some of these doors are being shut, and I'm going to walk away from this, and I'm going to kind of like take a step out of the boat on the water, and I'm just going to trust God where He's going to lead, and so. Through that period of time in my life, it was such a rich time to grow and to learn what it means to be a disciple, and then how can I use that to um, multiply my life into other people. And so it was a great time of learning and a great time of growth. It, it really was, and I would not trade it now for anything. And uh, I was just able to take some of those skills that I learned in that setting of doing ministry full-time vocationally in a church setting and transpose those into, um, into the back into the realm of baseball. And I just had a real sense and a real peace that God was saying, you know, I'm, I'm finished with you here and it's time for you to move here now. And um, it was, it was refreshing. It really was because it gave me a whole new, insight of really what I'm called to do and why I'm called to do it. You know, and I love, and, and for those of y'all that aren't familiar, we'll provide a link in our show notes to your blog from the Sandlot to the Sweet Spot. It's a great blog that you write. What was the impetus for you starting that blog, Kevin? Yeah. Well, I had a friend of mine, uh, actually a close friend of both of ours that challenged me. He just said, you know, Kevin, he goes, you know, um, this is a great opportunity to maybe start something like this. And I, I just always felt like in our game of, of baseball, I think really in, in life in general, I mean, we see it in corporate America. We see it um, throughout our government and our, our, our politics, but certainly we see it um, in baseball that there, there's a, there's a void of authentic leadership. And um, I, I really have a heart to try to um, help, coaches and scouts um, to grow and be men of integrity and uh, high, high character and high integrity. And so uh, in their leadership, because um, they, they are leaders, they are leaders. These coaches are leaders. They are influencers, scouts. We have an opportunity to be an influence or we, we can lead others. So, um, but there's such a need for authentic leadership. And, um, so that that's that was really kind of how that was birthed is just to really be an encourager to them and to help them grow in their in their leadership as coaches and scouts. Here you are, Kevin, and you're in the middle of your career. You're building it. You're building a. Um, a real culture, I think, of, I think anybody who knows you knows who you are. That's what I'll say. I mean, they know what you're about. They know what you're for. They know, they know what means something to you. As you start getting towards the end of your career uh, in these coming years, what do you want people who knew you in the scouting world, in the baseball world, in the professional life that you walk in, what do you want people to say about you, Kevin? Well, one of the legacies I would love to leave, um, you know, when my scouting career is over with and um, um, I'm just kind of shelved or out there, I, I just I, I, I want people to really understand and know um, what drives me and 
Um, you know, I'm as competitive as the other person that's out there. I love to win like anyone else, but winning for me is a little different than, um, maybe the normal person because, um, I, I really want to be known for somebody that, that when they see me, they can say, Hey, this guy, he walked the walk. He, uh, what he talked, he walked and he lived it out. And, um, and, and really quite honestly, that I would be able to make an impact on as many people as I can. And, uh, while the, with what time I have left. And so that, that truly is my heart. It, it really is my heart. And it's, uh, and it's a heart after God. I believe it's a heart that honors God. And uh, really, in the long run, that's what that's what that's what's important for me more than anything else. Is there a favorite verse that you've got in Scripture that you say, "Man, this has sort of been the go-to for me through these years"? Is there is there a passage or a book or something that really stands out yeah. to you in Scripture that's encouraged you? Yeah, I have a I have a few of them. Um, first one is is First um, Corinthians eleven one. Paul says, "Follow me, as I follow the example of Christ." Another one is First John two six that says, "If we claim to live in Him, we must walk as Jesus walked." And then another one is is um, John seventeen four um, that Jesus was praying back to His Father, and He said, "I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do." And so those are, those are three uh, verses that just, I love because it really is about trying to fulfill for me. It's about trying to fulfill his work, what he has put me here on this earth to do um, and just use baseball as a tool to, um, to impact his kingdom. Well, Kevin, you are making a difference, my man. You are making a difference. If people want to learn more about you or they want to get connected with you, what are some social media outlets that you're on, Kevin, that they could follow up and learn more about your blog and and sort of follow you on a day-by-day basis as you walk through the season? Yeah. Well, my blog is just uh, a sandlot, it's a sweet spot, and um, it's kevinburrell.org, and uh, anybody can log on there and just read it. and also, the, I'm, I'm on Twitter, which is uh, KDB underscore MLB. And so that's my Twitter site. And um, so that's those are two social media, or certainly one social media. I'm on Facebook as well. So um, those are ways that people can you know connect or, or follow me. Well, Kevin, thank you for your friendship, buddy. And I just want you to know that you are, you're making a mark and making a difference, my man. And I appreciate it a ton. Thanks so much, Mike. I appreciate it. I had a great time. Thank you. You know, you never dreamed that a, a, a professional baseball scout that's sitting with a clipboard in the stands and a stopwatch in his hand and a radar gun would deal out that kind of wisdom. But where that wisdom comes from with Kevin is a deep abiding walk with the Lord. And I think that's a, a word I think of when I think of Kevin. Kevin's really never really high up, and Kevin's never really way, way down. Kevin is a man who walks consistently with the Lord, and that consistency pays dividends that we get to experience by hearing the things that we heard today. 
Kevin is a, there, there's a verse in the New Testament. In fact, I just taught it in a leadership group, and it says to walk in the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Kevin is a guy every day that does his very best in a world that's not the most religious world in the world, in the world, but he's a guy that keeps in step with the Spirit. He prays and seeks the Lord's best every day, and he becomes the leader he was created to be, whether it's sitting in a home visit with a family, sitting in a dugout with a coach, sitting in the bleachers with a, another scout or another person. He lives out his faith, and his faith's important to him, and his faith matters to him, and his faith is not just something that he does. His faith really is who he is, and I hope that you pick that up from Kevin. Kevin is an amazing friend, and we have been together through thick and thin through these years, and it is an honor uh, to call him a friend because Kevin's one of those people you meet in life that just makes you better. So I hope you enjoyed our time together today. Well, I know we're entering into summer, and many of you up north are just getting out of school. Down south, we've already been out a little while. But here's the deal. We never get to take a day off from leadership. We never get to take a day off from being the leader that God created us to be. So we've got some great new podcasts coming your way this summer. Our next interview is going to be together with a gentleman who's been in the food service industry for over 37 years. His name is John Flooding. God used John in a huge way in that industry, and I can't wait for you to listen into our conversation. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, I hope you'll go on iTunes, leave a review for us, share it with a friend. Man, we want as many people out there being the people that God created them to be in the place that God has put them. Thanks again for joining us today on Lynch with a Leader. And until we meet again, I hope you go out and be the leader that God created you to be. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.